Welcome to Foster Strong, a podcast where America's alumni of foster care share captivating and compelling stories of what it was like growing up in the foster care system. Each episode, we explore how our time in foster care shaped us into the resilient individuals we are today. Hey, welcome in Foster Strong listeners, long time no here. This is Adrian. happy to be back on this episode. And with me today are... Hi everybody, it's Maraid. Hey everyone, it's Raya and happy election day. Uh, today we're doing an episode fitting for the day, um, covering all things child welfare policy, um, election related. We really wanna talk about the importance of the foster youth vote. Um, share some stories about what it was like for us to vote for the first time, uh, give you all some information about what could be on the ballot this year or um, just coming up in child welfare, and hear maybe your plans for voting, how you voted, um, and share what we did with you. Great. Sounds like it's going to be a fantastic episode. Um, election time, voting time as a political science junkie is really my favorite time of the year. Uh, this is, I believe, now my actually, now that I think about it, is my actual first time recording an episode on politics itself. Um, I do a lot of commentary on social media um, and actually looking forward to, at the time of this recording, looking forward to the last presidential debate tomorrow. Um, but I think it's a good topic for the three of us to be tackling to share with our brothers and sisters out there who are listening about the importance of voting and the importance of our voice in voting and some of the information that we found while getting prepared for this episode. Yeah, I mean, I'm very excited about this. Um, I think we often hear a, about a lot of different populations of voters um, from all over the place, whether it uh, divides by race, age, um, social class, but uh, the foster youth vote is just something that's not talked about, um, we haven't heard about, and really... The words put together foster youth vote are something I really haven't heard before um, right. doing my research and trying to come up and put this episode together for you all. So um, let's, I think, start there with just what is the foster youth vote? Who makes up this vote um, and why is it important? Well, I think it's really important um, to talk about because youth in the foster care system are like their parents are the government for that time period, you know? And so it's it's really important for it to be discussed by the government, by state officials, by um, federal officials, because they're technically um, in charge of these kids. And but it's it's also interesting to talk about because these kids can't vote um, until they're 18. And so they I don't know, like they're the ones that are directly affected, but they don't have a voice at that time. So that's why I like that we're talking about this, that um, the work that you do, Raya, and stuff, because it's really important for foster alumni to come back and advocate for the kids that are currently in the system. Right. I think that every time an election cycle comes up, 
foster youth and child welfare is on the ballot. And as we were preparing for this episode and just thinking about this now in hindsight and being so many years removed from the child welfare system, I didn't realize just how important our voice and advocacy is, um, given the fact that, as you mentioned, Maraid, uh, our government, I mean, our government, our government are our parents, which is true. So we're talking not just the federal election system. So right now, this has been a very big presidential election year um, for the two candidates who are running for governor. I think there's like actually more, but the two main candidates representing the major political parties, but also senators who vote on federal child welfare legislation and also state legislatures. So we're talking governors and general assemblies and then local officials um, in terms of mayors and city council. But more importantly, when it relates to child welfare, it's actually a a lot of uh, policy is shaped at the county level because it's a county administered system for the most part. And so you're talking about your county commission races. And so for all of our listeners out there, if you're in your local hometown and you keep seeing these same commercials for that same county commission race, those races are hugely important because those decision makers actually set the tone and policy for the local child serving protection agency there. And so it's kind of crazy to think about it from that perspective, when you step away from, you know, the Republican that's running and the Democrat that's running? Well, foster care or the foster care system is a bipartisan topic. So I know that when we're talking about legislation, it's not like there's this big fight um, that we're used to hearing about when when there's a bill on the floor or something like that. Um, So, but I feel like I feel like we just need to be more specific about what we're asking for and what we need because it is a flawed system. Um, some people say that it's it just needs changing. Some people think that it needs like complete innovation. Um, and so I think it's important at every level to be talking about and to, I don't know, to constantly be changing and moving forward, but I don't know, when we were doing our research, we can barely find anything that the candidates are talking about in regards to foster care. Right. Yeah. And I think that brings two, you know, really great points from both of you. One being, please, please, please get involved in local um, and smaller elections. Um, There are tons and tons of people trying to get a seat at the table right now um, beyond just the president. And so please take the time, do your research, see who is on your ballot, Um, you know, because a a really great example of this is... um, Jerry Milner, who is uh, the current director of ACF, I believe. Um, And ACF is the Administration of Children and Families for our listeners out there, which is housed under the Department of Health and Human Services. So they're the administrative arm for federal child welfare policy. Yeah. And that's an appointed position. So that appointment came directly from the current administration. um, And there are there are folks on both sides of the aisle who look at at Jerry Milner and just see incredible work that he's doing. Um, and so, and that is the definition of bipartisan support. Um, and it's interesting to see a position like that be an appointment because, um, losing this administration could mean that we lose a champion in that seat. And, um, who knows who fills that seat next? Hopefully it's another champion, but again, it's just really important to recognize that this is a bipartisan issue that people do care on both sides of the aisle. And it's one of the few, uh, another really great example of this is the adoption caucus on Capitol Hill, which is the largest and the most bipartisan, um, of all caucuses. So just some really interesting things, um, 
to think about when you're going into these ballots uh, and looking at your looking at your ballot and who you're choosing to cast your vote for. But I feel like it's it's kind of difficult because we're we're doing our research trying to find what the candidates have to say about foster care. And it's really not much. Um, so what do you do in that situation? That's a good question, Maraid. <laughs> and I don't know if we can cover it all in this episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I believe <laughs> that how the Congressional Coalition uh, of Adoption, that caucus that uh, Raya was just talking about, and I believe a lot of it starts with grassroots and advocacy and getting in contact with your federal representatives in Congress. So not just those who represent you in the congressional district, but every state is allotted two senators. And so if, if it sounds like I'm breaking down basic civics level, uh, civics lesson, um, it's because a lot of Americans, um, myself included, um, oftentimes need to be reminded of just how our bureaucracy and our democracy works. And so every state gets two senators. And so those individuals serve for a term of six years. So whoever you vote for will be in office for the next six years. So there's your chance to advocate for the next six years about issues that are important to you and important to you and and important to your community. Um, As it relates, going back to your question about what can we do when when we see that candidates aren't talking about our issues, is to start using the mediums that are disposable to force them to start talking about it. So, uh, for example, uh, in our generation, especially among some of our younger brothers and sisters out there, TikTok is huge among the youth culture, and they actually caused a little political firestorm when they started uh, some certain hashtags out there that grew um, and became viral as it relates to politics, similarly to Instagram and to Facebook. And so I believe that um, if we were to give some concrete advice is to start with your, the device in your hand and to do some research about issues that are important to you, see who's talking about it. And if they aren't talking about it, start asking them why they aren't talking about it and then start advocating for solutions um, at that level. That's at least that's the first part. And that's actually how I think a lot of youth leaders across the country in the child welfare arena um, got their start. They started by advocating um, at the local, state, and then federal level about issues that are important to them uh, in child welfare. And I would be remiss if I didn't give a huge shout out to an individual running for office uh, in Idaho. I am not advocating to vote one way or the other for him, but he's a former foster care alum, and his name is Rudy Soto. And I remember Rudy uh, when he was on uh, Capitol Hill, and I remember doing some conference to it. And so to see him as someone who has come out of the foster care system is now running for office is huge motivation, inspiration. Uh, It's pretty cool. Like I see his campaign commercials, I see his campaign bus. Like he is doing a lot of work uh, in Idaho around. That's amazing. It's it's crazy. Like I remember spending a week with him in D.C. on some uh, foster care advocacy work a long, long time ago, and to all these years later, he's now running for. Congress, like it's it's kind of crazy. Yeah, that is so cool. That's incredible. And it brings me. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Ray. Um, I just wanted to bring up two things. The first is if you're looking for conversations that are not happening, our listeners, I am asking you to bring them to us. Ask us those questions because we would be more than happy to talk about them, to see what we can find, and to share that with all of you. So please, please, please direct that our way. But. Adrian, you hit home on the exact point that I was going to make is that we have to advocate that the power in these policies comes from our storytelling, because currently, at least to my knowledge, there is not one person sitting at that large table that has the same story we do. 
that comes from the same background that we do. And so it's important that we inform them because not everybody got to walk in our shoes and not everybody knows what it's like and not everybody knows the hurdles that we had to jump to get to where we are today. But they need to. Correct. Yeah, well, that's what I was thinking about. I was like, well, why aren't they talking about this? Um, Because they haven't lived it. They don't know. Um, So it, it makes sense in a way, but just thinking about how many kids are currently in the system or will spend some time in the system. um, It's definitely an important topic that needs to be tackled. Um, But I feel like it's good to start with just thinking about what, what you want to see changed and get specific. And if you think that there's not enough social workers and you need more funding because you're trying to call your social worker and they're not picking up, that was always my case. <laughs> I'd be calling them all the time. I'm like, where are you? Get me out of here. <laughs> and um, so I don't know. I feel like the, if that's an issue that you think is important, bring it up and um, talk at the local levels. Talk talk to anybody. Um that because I don't I don't work in in politics I don't really I honestly don't really know how it goes down but I know that there's so many people out there that want to help that that's their full time job is just being an advocate um, so just reach out reach out to us you guys <laughs> yeah and we're happy to use this platform as Foster Strong a little Foster Strong plug here in terms of visit us on the website uh, contact us on social medias at you are Foster Strong or email us at info at you are Foster Strong I mean excuse me at fosterstrong.org um, to talk about these issues so that we could bring them to the limelight as well because oftentimes it's just being made aware of the situation um, is the first step into terms of advocacy um, and again to talk about tips on what young people can do or youth uh, listen out there are those who are just fresh out of the foster care system. Um, again, it's that local, state, federal level. I'm going to keep harping on that because that's how the chain of command works. Oftentimes, a lot of folks get discouraged at trying to reach their congressional uh, representation or their senators in Washington because of all the political turmoil that happens on both sides of the aisle. But oftentimes, starting locally with your mayor or your state person or your governor, um, those folks um, are more readily accessible and then start advocating on that national level. Um, I know that there are some organizations all across the country who make their annual trips to DC in out in the child welfare arena, but also outside of child welfare arena to advocate specifically and lobby their members of Congress mm-hmm. to, hey, remember to keep this at the forefront of your mind when you're doing your work here on Capitol Hill, that this issue is important to us, whether it's seniors, whether it's those um, of our LGBTQ community, uh, foster care should be included in those conversations as well. Like there's lots of these various Uh, special interest groups, so to speak, and populations who advocate all the time and foster care should be no different. Yeah, absolutely. And I I can speak a little more. Um, I I did spend some time in a congressional office uh, last summer and got to see kind of how that works. And it really is just groups of people who set up meetings and say, (laughs) this is what we see is wrong. This is our proposed solution to fix it. You can put your name on it if you'd like. We hope you do something about it. Thanks so much for listening. And that's kind of how it goes. They share. But if if that conversation doesn't happen, then these people who are making these decisions aren't even thinking about it. Um, 
And so there, there's tons of people on this team at Foster Strong who, one, are located all over the country and have connections to advocacy groups all over the country. So regardless of the state that you're from, um, please reach out if you're interested in getting involved in some of these groups, because we do have a lot of connections and we'd love um, to hear more voices and bring more voices to the table. That is what we are here for. That is Absolutely. the base of Foster Strong as an organization. Um, and that's our overall goal is to just get more seats at the table for all of you as well. And honestly, it's, it's really empowering just knowing that, I don't know, we grew, we grew up in the system and nobody was really advocating for us or we didn't feel it at the time. And now just growing up, not being in the system anymore and having that power to to advocate and to, to speak up about what we experience to people that don't understand. And so I know that there's a lot of kids that feel like they can't currently speak on it, the issues right now, or they can't vote, their voice doesn't matter, but it really does. Um, it just needs to be heard. Absolutely. Completely agree, Marate. Uh, I think that uh, as we were talking about like some barriers, I believe that the first barrier um, that a lot of young people face or young adults face is that one, they don't have the right to vote yet. So they may not be 18. Um, but then those who are just over 18 or who are just starting to get their um feet wet in society feel like their voice or their vote doesn't matter and it could not be the complete opposite um young people studies are showing and polls are showing more and more young people are becoming more and more mobilized and more and more aware of just how much political capital that they have and in terms of that and politicians no matter if they're republicans or democrats are starting to recognize that so as individuals who come from a very special and marginalized community like child welfare and foster care, now is the time to recognize just how impactful and powerful your voice can be in this political process. Um, and I think the um, aid, the uh, the old phrase is very, very true. If you're not at the table, you're on the menu, meaning that if you're not at the table helping to advocate for issues, helping to advocate for policy reform and changes, then oftentimes you're on the chopping block because you're seen as not important or even non-existence. And so um, that's when it's important to be at the table so that when those federal cuts come, when those state budget deficits come, that you make sure that your program, your interests aren't uh, on the chopping block. And because of this pandemic, which we haven't talked about, uh, on this particular episode yet, but because of the pandemic and the times that we live in, the amount of resources that have been spent fighting the coronavirus, a lot of state budgets, a lot of local budgets, and even the federal budget are going to have to go through a fiscal reckoning, not physical like body, but fiscal like in terms of monetary, in terms of how we pay for services and, and goods. And so this is an important time to be involved in the political process to understand the importance of caseworkers, like you mentioned, Marie, earlier, and having resources to make sure that we have enough caseworkers, enough resources to take care of children and families, enough resources to advocate for recruitment of foster families, recruitment and and accountability of these foster parents and stuff like that. Yeah, and I was just thinking about, I'm sure that the young adults who are coming out of the system feel like, um, they probably feel like, why would I, I'm not interested in politics, I have bigger things to worry about. But when the government is your parents, you have to, you have to vote if you wanna make a difference. Right. Yeah, think about, I mean, in a way, we hear um, 
those around us talk about what it's like to become an adult around their parents, right? In the sense that um, maybe they they feel like they can call them out or, um, you know, they have more of a voice maybe um, when they're they turn 18, they reach this adult age and their parents aren't their boss, so to speak, anymore. <laughs> um, and and we're, we are literally given that power once That's we turn 18 is these this this organization who raised us. <laughs> we now have the opportunity to step back and say, no, wait, you're doing it wrong. Stop Very raising wrong. kids this way <laughs> or continue yeah. raising kids like this. Um, and so. I, I think that's the best comparison is you turn 18, you get to tell your parents what to do. We are literally trying to tell the parent organization how to be better. Not for us anymore, but for those who come after us. And that's why it's so important. Right. And to give you a quick example of that, uh, that exact way of thinking, Ryan, I remember uh, coming to D.C. a number of years ago uh, and testifying um, uh, in Congress, um, as well as I did a lot of this at the General Assembly state level in um, in Ohio uh, when I was an advocate and I would always open up my public remarks with introducing myself as the son of those sitting on the committee and so I would literally address them as hello mom and dad and it, I never remember that there was a state senator I can't say his name uh, um, but he's retired now but there was this state senator who was very offended by the fact that I called him dad and I remember it got a lot of publicity and media coverage and it was even printed in a lot of the press there because he felt uncomfortable um, but some of his other colleagues and including the press realized that the, the way I was framing my remarks is if you removed me from my parents, you become my parents. So it is only right for me to come to Columbus at the time. That's where our state capital is. It's only right for me to come to Columbus and talk to my parents about what my life is like. Um, and basically the way I frame my comments is here's an update on your son. Here's what I'm going through in foster <laughs> care, the foster care system that you oversee. Uh, and you'd be surprised either how it relates to people. They can understand that because they're in charge of the child welfare system or how uncomfortable it makes them because they didn't realize like, oh, that's right. When I do cast my vote, yay or nay, I am casting a vote. And this is what a person looks like who is affected by that decision. I love that, Adrian. And and speaking of getting this opportunity to vote and um, turning 18 and having this opportunity to speak back and speak up, I'd love to hear from you guys what your first time voting experience was like. Um, had you ever been in the polls before? Uh, was that something you experienced or just what did that look like for you all for the first time? I was really excited. Um, the As first... you, are, you look excited to talk about it, boy. You like just say. Well, it was it was really exciting. The first time I voted was in the last election, the 2016 election, and that was my freshman year of college. And so, and I was a political science major, and so it was just very excited voting on a college campus. Um, and I remember. Um, that Super Tuesday um, many years ago, or not too many, um, and we just, it was in a, in a dorm building, where that's where the polls were, and we had to wait in line for hours, but we all did it because everybody was so excited to vote. Everybody was a freshman that was in the line because it was the freshman dorms. Um, and I don't know, it was just, it was really exciting. It was really fun. Right. Uh, my first time voting, um, because again, like I said, I'm a political science junkie. Um, I have always looked forward to voting um, the campaign experience. Uh, my hometown, Dayton, um, is a bit of a political hotspot. So candidates come through that part of town all the time on their campaign stops. Um, and going all the way back to 
I think the first one, like I actually remember um, that um, was like, uh, I believe, like when Bush and Kerry came to town, uh, they were both candidates running for office. One was Republican, one was a Democrat. And then I remember when uh, the last administration, President Obama, his his whole uh, folks came to town and McCain came to town. Uh, I remember actually now that I think about it, I remember John McCain, who was running for uh, president, introduced his running mate, uh, Sarah Palin, actually at uh, my college uh, at the arena that is so cool and so Dayton yeah so Dayton in that area is uh, very huge in politics because it's a huge military town as well we have one of the largest air force bases uh, in the world and so a lot of folks come there to make their political stops but anyway my first time voting was uh, actually at a church and it was so ironic because we always talk about the separation of church and state, but so many election precincts and voting places actually take place at a church. And so that was my- All over the place, yes, yeah. Uh, and so that's always the weird thing for me. Um, is uh, voting um, there. Um, and I remember feeling so empowered because I had remembered studying all the issues and I was prepared. And I remember in there voting and I uh, scanned my Tron. And one of the things that I actually wanted to do is I asked the lady if I could get a copy of my ballot and she said no, because it was illegal. But that was the one, I wanted to keep it and frame it because it was my first vote. Um, but she said no. And so to this day, I don't like that lady. Um, but uh, that, was my, that was my first experience voting. I look forward to voting. This is my first time voting in the state of Maryland where I, where I live now. So uh, I know we're going to talk about our plan for voting later. So I'll share that story. But um, having to register to vote here uh, and is a very different process than voting back home in Ohio. So I still have my my 2016 um, ballot stub or something like that when I voted. Really? Yeah, <laughs> that's so funny. I am the complete opposite. I um, <laughs> no, very seriously. I voted in 2016 because it was the first president presidential election I could vote in. And I felt obligated to, but, um, just kind of did it. It wasn't, um, <laughs> anything of, uh, any, any revelation I had in that moment. I don't know. It was, it was not the most exciting time of my life. Um, I will say that, but, um, the way politics has continued to move forward in the last four years, especially, um, and I, I, I'll take that back. I'll say in the last eight years, um, eight to 10 years and the rise of politics on social media and things like that. Um, it definitely post 2016 election changed the way I viewed, um, elections changed the way I viewed politics and made me want to become more informed. And so I think I go into the 2020 election um, with the same spirits that you all did your first time, um, just knowing that I'm a very educated voter, that I feel very empowered in the decision that I'm making for each and every candidate all the way down my ballot. Correct. Um, I feel uh, very proud that I spent the time um to research these candidates, and I just think that's overall one of the most important things I can do as a voter. So, oh, we we lost Raya a little bit um, as we were recording this. I just wanted to add a quick story until she jumps back on. Um, it's one of the things that I've enjoyed so much about voting, and how I realize where I'm kind of where I am in this voting space now is now I've got I received a few messages from people, uh, text messages, asking me about questions that are on the ballot um, because here in, in uh, Baltimore there's about there's letters, so I think. It's a letter A through K with all these different questions to pass to our city amendment. And I remember getting a text a couple of days ago saying, hey, Mr. President, uh, what does this mean on the ballot and which way should I vote? Uh, and so being educated, I was like, oh, I know what this is about. This is because of this and it's because of that. I'm not going to tell you how to vote, but this is what that means in X, Y and Z. So I think that's kind of uh, 
transformed how when I first went to vote, I, you know, opened the curtain, came back out and I was like, oh, yay. You know, where are the cameras and pictures and taking a picture of me stamping my ballot like they do on all the political shows. But now it's all like, <laughs> all right, let me study this issue because this could have an impact on me or my family on down the line. I know. And it's it's crazy to think about the things that that appear on the ballot, like all of the right. propositions. I need I need to do a little bit more research. Um but there's I would imagine some in California, you're in Colorado now, but in California, like I would imagine like it's just chaotic in terms of what the ballot looks like just because of, I know it's like proposition this and proposition that. And it's just so much because the state is so big that you really do have to do your homework and due diligence to figure out like what you're actually voting for. Yeah. And so I was planning on um, because I'm registered to vote in California and I wanted I was just going to tell my dad what I wanted and have him <laughs> <laughs> mail in my ballot for me. Yeah. But then I was thinking about it and I was and now living in Colorado, it's more of a more of a swing state in a way where my vote matters yeah. more. And so um, yeah. I registered to vote in Colorado. Yeah. So did you register to vote in time for this election? So you'll be, yeah. or will it be going for it? Oh, sweet. Have you received uh, a ballot yet? I didn't get a mail-in ballot. So if, I know that if I want to vote in Colorado, I have to go in person. Gotcha. Um, so yeah, I actually requested uh, a mail-in ballot because there, I don't live that far from City Hall, which is where the, one of the drop-off locations is. So I'm actually pretty excited to get the ballot at home, make my selections, and then walk over there and drop it in the drop box. And I'm making this a photo op for myself because I just think <laughs> it's really cool that the that the drop box is by City Hall. And there are so many questions about the city of Baltimore itself because um, recently we went through a lot of uh, political turmoil here in the city uh, with our last administration. And so because of those issues, a lot of questions were added to the voting ballot this year for voters to decide on what kind of government they want going forward. So for our listeners out there, I think it's important to realize that to pay attention to what's going on in politics, um, because oftentimes... Um, issues that pop up on the ballot are a direct result of something that has happened. So going back to a, a story in Ohio, we had a challenge with foster parents. Um, unfortunately, we had a child death that occurred in custody. Um, and so that child death was a very high, high profile case. And the governor at the time decided that he wanted to overhaul the child welfare system and he started calling all these experts and uh, advocacy groups and figure out how do we improve the child welfare system in Ohio and I remember myself and some other advocates advocated and advocated and advocated until one day he signed this new bill into law uh, and I actually still have that pin um, that he signed into law that hangs over in my office um, with a picture of being at that table with him. And so that reminds me of just how important our voices are and how we can affect change. The fact that there's literally a law in Ohio that I advocated and testified over and over and that that law was actually signed by the person and signed by this little pen. And so it's, uh, it's kind of pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, so I, uh, as many of you know, moved to D.C. in June of this year. So um, I did register to vote here um, uh, after moving, but my plan is to vote in person. Um, I do have the option to mail in my ballot, but being that I also have to provide proof of residency, I feel much more comfortable voting in person um, because I do have to like mail 
a piece of mail or something with my address on it. And I don't want to run into any discrepancies where I would be discounted from voting um, because I don't have the proper documentation. So I do plan to vote in person, um, probably voting early if possible. Um, and yeah, we'll see. I'm, I'm very excited um, to have registered in D.C. and get all that done in time. Um, but yeah, hopefully I don't face too long of lines um, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, there are lines. Uh, I've been following the news, of course, um, and there has been record turnout for individuals who are early voting and mail-in balloting. Um, I forget what the number is. I believe it's up to like 22 million people have voted early or have done mail-in ballot uh, mail-in balloting, which is a record. Uh, and of course, uh, when the state of Georgia opened up their early voting, the lines were down and around the corner. People were like bringing camp chairs and food who've been in line for hours. Um, and that's, you know, evidence all across the country. Uh, this pandemic, I think, is part of it, but also the importance of issues that are on the ballot um, and the candidates that they are choosing to support or not support. Um, one of the things that I miss, though, that this year um, is causing an uh, issue is I actually like the process of getting up early and going to vote and getting my I voted sticker uh, and then talking about it all day and then posting about it on social media um, and then the giddy aspect of watching the returns. Um, I was telling a friend texting uh, texting her earlier today is that I love and hate election day because I love, 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 love winning and victories on issues and candidates that I care about, but I hate losing. I, I, it's, I hate losing and so uh, election day is a literally an emotional roller coaster but i am glued i have multiple <laughs> tvs going i'm on all the channels watching which races come in um it's it's election day i'm so excited about election day. i can't wait till it gets here because it that is literally yeah. it's like a for a political science junkie and a nerd this is like our super bowl like election day <laughs> is the super bowl for politics yeah well and i feel like the world has kind of been well 2020 has been the craziest year but I feel like we just need this election and we need to get past it and we need to see what's going to happen next. Yes, there's a lot of uncertainty and it makes um, a year of uncertainty, really, and a year of being blindsided um, by many different things uh, over the last 10 months. Um, I just think we're we're tired of not knowing. We're tired of being blindsided and we just want some firm answers at least for another four years because <laughs> I just can't sit on the edge of my seat any freaking longer. Yeah, I agree. I think every, I think everyone also looks forward to the political campaign commercials stopping. I know that's what my grandmother always tells me. Uh, and it's very funny when you live in a very progressive state um, like Maryland, and then you go to a very uh, conservative or rural state like Georgia, and you see the difference in the messaging that you get for candidates that are running for office. And I remember being at my grandma's house back in July, and every single commercial, there was a political com campaign commercial for a candidate that was running for office, whether it was a presidential candidate or for a Senate race, um, which is very different here in Maryland. We have the same folks running for office in terms of federal elections and that process, but just the amount of campaigns that they were, campaign commercials that they were being bombarded with because Georgia's can kind of considered maybe a possible swing state this year. Same thing happens when I lived in Ohio because Ohio is considered a purple state. You know, it's neither, it could go red or go blue. Um, like the amount of commercials that you get. So I'm looking forward to all those commercials stopping after election day. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but I am looking forward to election day itself. I think, Ryo, the only thing we didn't talk about, though, is what's on the ballot. Um, and that's kind of like where you dropped off in terms of child welfare. And I think that what's on the ballot for child welfare 
are is always the same. So housing services, um, I believe child protection services. Um, I believe um, that those who represent the interest of uh, foster care. I know we started the episode off talking about how it's a very bipartisan issue with child welfare. Um, but what's also always on the issue is champions of foster care. So there are individuals who run for office who are let's say bigger champions than others when it relates to youth and young adult issues and champion issues and so i just want to make that point out there that although it's a very bipartisan issue um there are champions for um the causes um and if you don't see a particular candidate talking about an issue to get involved whether emailing tweeting texting getting involved to ask them why they're not um particularly like when we're watching these debates like why didn't they ask questions that relate to my life um and so I think that that's an important way to talk uh, to get involved with as well. Yeah. And I think it's you know, it raises great points. And by the time uh, all of our listeners are hearing this, um, I'm sure most of you will have already voted or are maybe listening to it standing in line. I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it, it, the great point is that child welfare touches so many different realms of policy. So housing, um, education, mm-hmm. um, you know, health. poverty, health yep. care, um, and then right down to DCF and um, just child services in each individual state. And so it touches all of these places and all of our stories. Um, we are going to have improvements and suggestions for different areas. Um, my story, I often advocate for mental health services um, post-adoption. It's something I talk about a lot. Um, whereas others may talk about their experience in the healthcare system while they were in child welf- uh, in the child welfare system. Um, and all these different things overlap. Juvenile justice. And so mm-hmm. when you're going into the lens of voting for child welfare, also think about these policies that are coming to light and these policies that candidates maybe speak more often about um, and where you can stand on that based on your experience in the system. Yeah, I was just going to say real quick, just to add in there, um, you mentioned something, right that I we haven't mentioned yet, that judges are on the ballot, and judges have a lot of power and sway when it comes to child welfare issues. So, you know, if you're listening out there, get involved and look at what local candidates are running for judges, or judgeships, I believe is the right term, judgeships in your uh, local area, to find out where they stand on child welfare issues, and where they stand on the importance of family. Uh, child welfare touches everything, kinship care, uh guardianship, grandparents, we all know someone. You don't have to be a direct uh, alumni or person who's been in child welfare to not know the experience or effect that it has because chances are you know someone, if you're not yourself, um, who's been in the child welfare system and how those policies affect everything around you. Yeah, I'm going to go do my research and see what what these candidates at the local level are saying about child welfare. Um, because, yeah, it's not always something that's they're broadcasting that's not on the commercials. You really have to kind of dig deep to see what they're going to do about it. And I think you can say that about tons of issues, number one. Um, and number two, I think that very often the most advertised issues that candidates are running on are the most divisive in our country. Um, and it's really hard it's it sometimes is a lot easier to make decisions um, about who or which way you will vote based on this really harsh yes or no question or um, black and white answer that m- many of us um, may have very strong opinions on. But when it boils down to it, there are so many smaller policies and other um, just 
smaller focus areas that we can look into and we can make really, really informed decisions on candidates because their commercials are not telling the full story. And so I think if anybody can walk away with anything in this podcast episode, it is that please, please, please do all of the research uh, and get informed as possible. It's hard to get your point or policy across in a 60 second ad, no more so than it's very hard to get all of the issues across in a 30, 40 minute podcast episode. Like you really do have to dig in and do your research to find out about candidates and every state in the union and every locality is very, very, very different. And so what happens here in Maryland is very, very different than what's happening uh, over there in Colorado where Maraid is or it's extremely different if you are a voter in D.C. Um, like Raya is compared to if you're a voter here in Baltimore City. Um, And so it's very important uh, to understand the issues as it relates to your own community. And I will stress local elections is where all the magic happens. Um, Federal elections is where all the attention goes because of, you know, the national politics of it. But Mm -hmm. when it comes to the stuff that deals with our everyday lives, it is commissions, mayors, city councils, all that stuff happens that has a direct effect uh, on your livelihood and your lives uh, from a local standpoint. That's why local elections are so important. Or as we talked about earlier, down ballot uh, uh, questions and candidates. Sweet. All right. Well, um, thanks everyone for listening. I hope again, um, we, we helped um, not to inform your vote, but to encourage you to get informed about voting. Um, for fun, I think um, the Foster Strong team will be sharing their plan um, for election or their plan for voting and <laughs> well, I or thought you how said they for voted. Fun, you were going to say, I'm sorry, I thought you were about to say for fun, we're going to share who we voted for the next episode. <laughs> <laughs> no, not doing that. Um, oh, but no, we'll be um, probably sharing on election day how we voted, if we voted. Um, hopefully some of us will get some of those stickers. If not, I think I'll just make my own because that is a really <laughs> That is a really big highlight to voting. I love the stickers. <laughs> yes. It's the best part. Um, no, but please share with us uh, how you voted, your plan to vote, um, and we hope to hear from you all soon. Thanks, everybody. All right. See you, everybody.